to pause and to open ourselves up to you, Lord. God, we don't want to rush past this very important time as we understand, God, that everything we do here, we do in order that you may be glorified, so that you may be glorified, God, so that, so that others might see and know you as we see and know you. And God, sometimes we just, all the time, but sometimes we recognize in a unique way just how desperate we are for you, God, for your direction. God, we recognize, especially during the season of Lent, the openness that we are encouraged to have, but we also recognize that it's very difficult sometimes to come before you fully open as we open up ourselves to hear from you, God, as we open up ourselves before to you for you to look inside of our heart and acknowledge what needs to change. God, that's a really difficult thing I thank you that you see that for some of us it is a challenge but but God you you wait you wait patiently and and I believe that you help us to get there God we've been talking a lot about renewal throughout the season of Lent and just during this time we've just been talking about renewal we long for renewal god we long for you to do a new thing in and through us and god I, we acknowledge this morning that that maybe there are many here who who say yes lord i long for renewal i open myself up fully i i open i come open handedly ready to receive renewal but God, we also acknowledge that, that there are people in our midst who, if they were honest, they would say, I'm, I'm not ready for renewal. I, I don't desire that same renewal, but I want to. Maybe there are some who want to want renewal. We acknowledge that. You appreciate that honesty, God that sometimes we just feel stubborn and it's just really difficult to, to want that renewal, to want to go through the, the process of being renewed. And so God, for those who this morning, maybe their prayer is just, I want to want renewal. God, I believe that you can, that you can plant that seed of desire within us. I know, God, that that's not impossible for you. That if you see our hearts open and honest before you, God, that you will bless that honesty. And, and if we truly desire these things, God, I, I believe that you will bless that, that you will respond. And God, we just um, continue to remember those who are dealing with sickness. God, those who are, are still in a process of recovery, a long process of recovery. 
God, we think of those who have just gone through a difficult time, a, a difficult season, um, emotionally, relationally, financially, mentally. A lot of us face things that, that others don't necessarily see. But God, you see us. You see those realities and you care about them deeply. So God, we just pray that you would draw near to all who are hurting, who are sick, those whose bodies are in need of a healing touch. God, you care about our bodies. You are an incarnate God and and we know that you care about the earthly struggles that we have when our bodies fail us. And so God, we pray for strength, for physical renewal, for healing, for rest. And we trust in you, God. You are capable of all of these things. And we thank you, God, that you long to hear from us, from our hearts. We thank you, God, that we are seen and deeply loved by you. Our prayer today, God, is that we would be a people who see and deeply love others. God, would you just help us to receive this word? God, would you open up our hearts? our ears, our eyes. May this word be forming for us. May it form and shape us to look more like you. God, would you just do what it is you long to do in our hearts and in this place, in this community. God, we just thank you. Thank you for being a God who lovingly walks alongside us in this journey. On this journey, God, you are present. You care. And we just thank you for that. God, we look forward in anticipation to the new things that you are doing in and around us. I'm thankful today, God, for the reminder of of spring. And God, as we look around, even though today is a dreary and cold day where we just want to crawl back into our beds, God, we look around and even in the midst of a cold and dreary day, there are tangible signs of life. And some of us are just clinging to those signs of life the beauty in the darkness, the beauty in the ordinary and the mundane. God, you are doing a new thing. And we just anticipate all that you want to do. Thank you, God, for using your creation to remind us of who you are and of your promises and of your faithfulness. We love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
Thank you, Dave, for beautifully carrying us. Oh, oh, I like this. <laughs> I can see you all, and you can't see me very well. Sometimes that's just the way it ought to be, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Emphasis is not on one person. All right. Uh, well, friends, we are making our way through the season of Lent. This is the third Sunday of Lent. So really, we are hitting that halfway mark. We're halfway through the, the six-week season of Lent, and so I just want to give you a moment to maybe think about it for yourself and just consider how is Lent going? How has this season been for you, particularly for those of you who, who made an intentional decision to lean into the rhythms of Lent? And I wonder, especially for those of you who are maybe giving up something for the season of Lent, those of you who are fasting, don't apologize, it's fine, really. You could just leave them off and it'll be fine. I know, you don't like that, but... Uh, For those of you who are giving up something for the season of Lent, maybe you have committed to fasting something for the season of Lent in order to draw near to Christ. Remember, we're not just giving things up for Lent for the sake of giving things up for Lent, right? It's not just another box that we're checking. It's not just another thing we're doing so that we can pat ourselves on the back and feel really holy and good about ourselves. But the purpose is to lay something down, to die to self each and every day, and to draw near to Christ. And so if that's what you're doing, how is that going for you? Remember, on the very first Sunday of Lent, or maybe even the week before, when we talked about fasting and when we were talking about Jesus in the wilderness, we acknowledged that that it wasn't always easy for Jesus, that there would be moments when he would struggle with his humanity and his fleshly desires having taken on human flesh, right? It's something that Jesus willingly took on, and, and because he willingly took on human flesh, he had to wrestle with fleshly desires. And so have you found yourself identifying with Jesus in those struggles? Have you found yourself feeling those those cravings, those those desires, and have you used that as an opportunity to connect with your Savior, with your Lord? Have you used that as an opportunity to say, Lord, I need you. I need you more than I could have ever imagined. Maybe for some of you, this season of Lent has just been a struggle because I encouraged you at the beginning of the season to enter into the season open-handedly. And, and I have even had conversations with some of you where you have confessed, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate your honesty, you have confessed that entering into the season of Lent open-handedly has been difficult and you just haven't quite got there yet. So how maybe do you feel like God continuing to draw near to you so that you might be able to slowly start unclenching those fists and coming before God with open hands? I wonder this morning if any of you are hungering and thirsting more for Jesus than you did yesterday, than you were last month perhaps. If you find yourself particularly thirsty today for more of Jesus, then today's passage is is actually perfect for that because there is a thirsty woman who draws near to Jesus in unexpected ways as she comes to draw water from a well. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4 in just a moment, um, but 
I could not get away from the fact this week that that even though we didn't look last week at John chapter 3, which is the story of Nicodemus, the Pharisee who comes to Jesus kind of in the secrecy and darkness of night. I think we talked about Nicodemus last year, but I couldn't help but notice the stark contrast between the two chapters. It's really remarkable what John does there. And so I am going to highlight that for you in a moment after we read the passage But what this reminds us of is is the beauty of John's gospel. We're going to be kind of leaning more into John's gospel over the next few weeks. And and we're just reminded of these beautiful characteristics that are unique to John and to his gospel. One of those being just how he records and tells of the surprising, unexpected conversations that Jesus has with people one-on-one. Conversations that leave people walking away completely changed forever. And, and I was reminded this week, a fun little fact for you, that this is the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the Gospels. And I promise you, after we read this passage in its entirety, although split up into two sections, you will believe that. You will have no problem believing that this is the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the Gospels. And so as we kind of think about these things and consider these things and just appreciate John and the way he tells these stories, uh, if you're able, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the word from John chapter 4. We're just starting off with verses 1 through 26. You're welcome. Split that in half for you. This is the word according to the gospel writer, John. He says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he, leaves, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, this is just one of those really interesting things that we cannot skip because, again, I just appreciate what John does here, and it's really beautiful. But as I mentioned earlier, chapters 3 and 4 are a stark contrast from one another, and it's just worth noting how, how different these conversations are, but how they are ultimately leading to the same thing, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the living water that everyone thirsts for. In chapter three, and maybe later you just go back and, and refamiliarize yourself with the story of Nicodemus in chapter three. But in chapter three, what you have represented is Judea and the people of Judea who mostly, generally speaking, are resistant to Jesus, right? Jesus comes and he reveals himself to the people of Judea and he is rejected, They don't receive him. They don't believe that he is who he says he is. And that is contrasted in chapter four with the people of Samaria, a very different group of people. These are enemies. We've talked about that before, right? These are those who the disciples wanted to bring down fire and just let's burn them up because that's what we do to our enemies, right? We just burn them up. That makes sense, right, Jesus? Okay, and so in chapter four, we see that, that there are the people of Samaria represented. And in this particular instance, we're gonna finish the story later on and you're gonna see this even more, that, that they represent a great openness. Not in all cases, but in this case, there is a great openness and acceptance in contrast with the Judeans who are not accepting of Jesus. In chapter three, you have the story of Nicodemus, a curious Pharisee who sees something different in Jesus that he wants to learn more about, but he comes in the secrecy and darkness of night. And in chapter four, you have this woman who has this encounter with Jesus in the middle of the day. It's noon. It's it's the middle of the day. In chapter three, there is talk of water. There is a theme of water in chapter three where Jesus talks about water and how it's necessary for rebirth. And in chapter four, we see this talk of water again, but in this case, it's necessary for life, fulfillment. In chapter three, you have the story of an Israelite male. And from an Israelite male, you don't get any more opposite on the opposite end than than a Samaritan female. One represents power. He's a powerful player in the story, in the narrative of Jesus' day. And in this case, you have one Samaritan woman who is overall powerless. 
These are the the contrasts that I think John wants us to see, and it shapes how we hear this story. When it comes to this familiar story, this is one that that is often talked about and and preached on, and so I'm sure that a lot of you are familiar with this story, and, and I don't need to recall all the details that are often highlighted in this story. The details of, of, you know, we'll just loosely mention them, that, that this was an intentional trip for Jesus, right? He, he seems to go out of his way to come through this area to have this very intentional conversation. You often hear about all of the barriers that, that Jesus broke through in this moment, that there were all of these cultural barriers put into place, and Jesus shatters them all, probably even more than what we understand at first glance and much to the disciples' surprise later on, as you're going to see. But there's one aspect of the story that I think needs more attention today. I think there's one aspect of the story that has been largely misunderstood over the past, in the past. In the past, I think we have looked at this woman, and we have mischaracterized her. I think we have seen this woman and we see her through our 21st century cultural lens. And and in doing so, we strip away something very important from her. We strip away her dignity and her worth and we read into this story things that I'm not sure we're meant to read into. A lot of times we, we focus on what has been identified as her sins. Uh, We, a lot of times, assume that this was a sinful woman, that Jesus is confronting sin in her life. We hear that that phrase, five husbands, and and we think about people who maybe have been married five times today, and we think, oh, he he is confronting her sin because that would be a sinful thing. And, And we automatically assume things about this woman that wouldn't be true, like, for instance, that she would even have the power to marry and divorce five husbands. You need to understand, and I think we do, but we need this reminder that in this day, in this culture, a woman could not just up and decide that she wanted to marry or leave a man. That was all the man's decision. They held the power. And this is not a a woman's rights thing. This is not a, a feminist thing. You need to understand this is ancient culture. This is the way it was in this culture. It's very likely that this woman had lost five husbands, that that she survived five deaths of five husbands. That was also not unheard of in this culture. And we, we, we zone in on that one other part of the passage where Jesus says, you're right, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Listen, I'm not, I have not even fully reconciled what Jesus means by the man you now have. I'll confess, like I, I was digging and looking and I probably just didn't have the appropriate amount of time to really focus on that one little detail this week, but, but I don't, I'm not even sure what Jesus meant by that. But again, we read that in the light of you've had five husbands and, and we assume that she's now living out of wedlock with this new husband, so she is just a sinful woman. She is a sinful, dirty, tainted woman. That is often what we have read into when we read this passage. And I wonder, I was challenged this week. I think I've I've certainly heard this message preached, and I've probably been on the teaching end of this message at some point that says, 
Jesus is confronting her lifestyle, and she walks away changed and, and produces a great harvest because she acknowledged her sin. And I wonder if we have often read this story or we've allowed this story to be read to us with all sort of assumptions that John and certainly Jesus would not have intended. Is it possible? Can we just ask that question? Ooh, it's really quiet. Can we just ask that question? Is it possible that we've read something into this story that was never meant to be understood and therefore we walk away thinking that this story is about something completely different than what it's actually about? Can we acknowledge that at no point in this story does Jesus say the word sin? Can we acknowledge that at no point in this story does Jesus appear to be judging this woman for sinful behavior? Not that she was perfect, but where does he address a sin issue? As I read this story and reread this story, I feel that Jesus is not looking at this woman and judging her, but rather the, the, the things that he reveals about her life the intimate details that he knows and reveals about her life seem to be more about letting her know who he is and the fact that he has seen her and seen her struggles and seen her challenges and wants her to know that standing before her is living water because life has been hard and cruel for her and she's thirsty, she's broken, she maybe has nothing left. And many things that, that might seem to fulfill a person have left her even more disappointed and alone and frustrated. And now standing before her is this living water. And perhaps that's why Jesus gives such intimate details about her life. See, I, I feel strongly that if Jesus is not clearly judging this woman, I'm not sure we have any business judging this woman. And maybe it's time to change how we view her if we have perhaps viewed her in a way that she was not meant to be viewed. I love how scholar Ernest Hunchin says, whoever asserts that Jesus wishes to lay bare the woman's morals misunderstands this text. And, and if we have misunderstood this text, then maybe we have missed a much bigger picture that this text is meant to reveal. And I wonder if looking at this story in a different light, we perhaps see a very different kind of woman. Can we just reintroduce ourselves to the woman at the well? Can we leave all the preconceived notions behind, maybe all of those teachings behind that, that maybe didn't even intentionally mean to imply that she was sinful, but yet that's what we received, that's what we read into it? Can we leave all of that behind and meet this woman for the first time in a new lens? As I tried to do that this week, I saw a woman who comes to the well, and she is likely misunderstood by everyone. Not only the people who read about her over 2,000 years later, but the people in her community, the people that she sees as she's out and about. I think she's misunderstood. I think that this is a woman who, like many of us, is doing the best she can with what she had. I think this is a woman 
who is lonely, who is really, really lonely, and maybe even at this moment feeling a little bit helpless as she's lost in her loneliness. I see a woman who, like many of us, is just trying to figure out how to live life and how to do the right thing and how to understand all of the things that there is to understand about God and about who God is and about what God wants to do in our lives. I think she's seeking and she's just trying to figure it out. And here before her stands this man who knows things about her that no one else does who I think in this moment sees her in a new way, in a way that she's never been seen before. Not as the woman who has been married five times and and now has this, this undetermined relationship with another man, but yet she's seen as a woman who has been married five times and yet still feels completely helpless and alone and disappointed. And he sees her He takes the time to know her and he acknowledges her and he perhaps for the first time in a long time helps her to feel loved and cared for. And as I was thinking about all of this this week, I was reminded of another woman in scripture who was misunderstood. I'm reminded of another woman in scripture who was powerless and helpless in so many ways. I was reminded of a woman who was mistreated, who was cast aside. No one saw her. No one really saw her as the fragile, broken human being she was. And in Genesis 16, we read the story of how she runs away because she's alone. She's broken. She's been mistreated. She's only ever done what's been asked of her, and yet she still receives the bad end of the deal. And so she runs, and she's confronted by her Lord, who stops her in her tracks and who sees her when no one else has taken the opportunity to see her. And something happens in that moment where Hagar is the first person in Scripture to name God who is the first person in scripture to to give a name to God, to Yahweh, saying that he is the one who sees her, that she has now seen the one who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. And something very similar happens here in John chapter four, where this woman who perhaps has gone largely unseen for most of her life is now seen by her Lord, and she sees him. And she has this life-changing conversation with the one who has seen her, with the one who changes her heart. We see in this story that being seen and known by Jesus is truly what transforms her life. She is now seen and known by the one who has just declared himself the Messiah, And she is changed forever because of it. I love how in John's gospel, something else that we see is that seeing for John is often connected with believing. That these two things go hand in hand in John's gospel. And as we read in verse 19, she sees Jesus. 
And let it not be lost on us, friends, that this is the first time Jesus confirms his identity and his messiahship, and he does so to this broken, unnamed woman. Being seen and known without the judgment that she's always known and carried is what drives her to tell others about him. It doesn't just transform her life, but the lives of those around her. And, and we're going to continue on with the story because there's a, a disruption that happens. It's this beautiful moment, right, that, that we're perhaps seeing in a new way, and you're still, like, letting that settle for a moment. You're, like, still trying to figure out what you think about this passage, having read it through this lens, through a different lens. And, and it's this beautiful moment, and then suddenly things seem to get a little bit rocky. We pick up in verse 27, where John says, just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out to the town and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, I love this so much, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> what happened? We went to get your food. How did you eat? <laughs> he says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I want to read that again. Open your eyes and look at the fields. Look at the opportunities. Look at the places where you least expect the Spirit of God to move and to renew. The fields are ripe with harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe with harvest ripe with harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Listen to these words he says, thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. That one stings a little bit, right? Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. But now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Friends, things do get a little rocky in this moment as the disciples seem to come in and disrupt all of the, the beautiful 
things that just happened between Jesus and this woman. And as she is feeling inspired to go and to tell, she's going to go preach. She's going to go be the most successful evangelist in all of John's gospel. And it's this beautiful moment. The fields are ripe for harvest. Look. And the disciples come in and they kind of disrupt everything. Bless them. Just because they still aren't seeing and understanding Right? And so we see that once again, Jesus' messiahship surprises everyone, including the disciples, who are, are still trying to process what it means that this messiah continues to be humble and gracious in his conversations. He, he continues to lift up and pay attention to the overlooked, to the outcast, to the ridiculed, to the broken, to the oppressed, to those who have been pushed to the fringes. Jesus, as the disciples are having to, to, to wrestle with, with receiving and understanding that Jesus rejects this idea and teaches his followers to reject it as well, that the kingdom of God is only for certain people. And we see, after, after having seen this conversation with the disciples that, that highlights this reality after seeing what just took place between Jesus and this woman he had no business talking to, we see that this incredible harvest follows. Open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. Is it possible that the fields have been ripe for harvest, but we haven't had the eyes to see is it possible that, that we just haven't been willing to accept where and how God wants to move? We've been looking for it in a certain way, in a way that is completely different than the way that God is actually moving? Because I think like the disciples, we are often surprised by the movement of the Holy Spirit. And we are often surprised at where the harvest is happening. But friends, the harvest is ripe. And I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss where the Spirit of God is moving and working. I want to look for it. I want to find it. And I want to be open to pushing through the boundaries to go and be where the Spirit of God is and is moving. I think often God wants to and often does work outside of the boundaries that we so often put into place. And I think, God, I think God especially goes above and beyond those boundaries when, when those boundaries that we sometimes create are discriminatory, oppressive, and ostracizing. God pushes even further and says, nope, watch what I'm going to do. Take the, the very fact that Jesus stays in Samaria for two days. Friends, that would have really been disruptive for a lot of people. For a lot of Jewish people and probably for a lot of Samaritans, the fact that Jesus was willing to stay and eat there for two days, this would have disturbed a lot of Jewish sensitivities and it would have offended a lot of people. And I love how scholar Craig Keener says that the Jesus of the Gospels is more concerned with people than with customs. thing that I really was challenged with this week and the challenge that I want to kind of leave you with as we close is that Jesus' actions communicate to us, his followers, that in order to have conversations that lead to harvest, we have to be willing to humble ourselves 
We have to be willing to remove barriers. We have to be willing to truly see people not with judgment, but as the beloved creations they are. Our example, the one whom we follow, is Jesus. And Jesus, again and again, broke boundaries, shattered barriers to illuminate just how deep and vast the love of God is. So as we continue on throughout the season of Lent, I'm going to invite the praise team to come to come back. And as we continue on throughout the series of Lent, my prayer for us is that we would just continue to, to be humbled. And for some of us, the prayer is that you would continue to be open to being humbled, Right? Maybe you're not humbled quite yet, but maybe you want to be open. You want to want renewal. You want to want to enter into the season with open hands. And so the challenge throughout the season, the remainder of the season, is that we would be humbled. That we would continue to open up our hearts fully to God. And if necessary, confessing, acknowledging, and repenting of the ways that we have allowed human-made boundaries to divide us from the ripe harvest. I don't know exactly what all of that is or where those boundaries are or the boundaries that, that you've created for yourself or that you've let others create for you. I think only you can identify those with the help of God. But sometimes it is necessary for us and I say this with, with so much love and, and tender care that sometimes it's just necessary for us to open ourselves up and, and acknowledge the ways that, that we've kept ourselves from talking with certain people for whatever reason. Maybe because simply we just couldn't believe that the Spirit of God could actually move and do something in the most unlikely of places. I think this is a great time for us to reflect on what temporarily fills us versus the harvest that, as Jesus says, will bring life-giving food, right? What, what kinds of things does the church do that, that only temporarily fills us? And how might we be missing the ways that, that God wants to give us life-giving food? As you continue to process through these things, I just wonder, are there boundaries that we are willing to breach for the sake of the harvest? What boundaries are we at this point maybe not willing to breach and how can we invite God into that? And finally, what unexpected conversations will you invite, will you be open to? And so God, we we open up ourselves to you once again, Lord. And God, we acknowledge that like the disciples, we are coming from a, maybe a genuine and pure place. But it's so easy to miss these things sometimes. And so God, we, we come before you and, and we acknowledge the ways that you want to challenge us. The ways that you want to continue to form and shape and oftentimes reshape and reform our vision. God, my prayer this morning is that if anyone here feels like they are unseen, like this woman, like the woman at the well, like Hagar, 
God, would you help us to know that you see us and that you love us? And God, as some of us can confess that we have been seen, that we have seen the one who sees us, God, would you just give us a fresh pouring of your love that helps us to go and see others who remain unseen by the rest of the world. And in doing so, we hope to share the same story that they would come and see and that they would be able to say, I, don't, I no longer just believe because you told me about the one who sees you, but I believe because now I have seen the one who sees you and me. God, would you just continue to work these things out in our hearts? We thank you for your, dare we say, reckless love that never stops pursuing. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this for the glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can stand if you're able, or you can be seated, you can kneel, whatever posture feels appropriate for you as we worship together. were true for that woman and they're true for us.
so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You've been so, so kind to me.
I could just share um, one of the things that I wrestle with in my humanity is just feeling sometimes unseen, right? And, and sometimes I feel like God is distant for whatever reason. That's, that's a part of this human struggle. And I, I struggle to share just because it's, it's, you know, it's hard sometimes to share these deep, vulnerable things. But for whatever reason, last fall, I just was in a season of, of feeling like I couldn't see God or I couldn't see what he was doing. I knew he was there, right? Like, that's built within me. I know he's there. With every breath I take, I know he's there. But I, at times, just couldn't see him. And I just felt like I was really, truly alone. And I I share that with you because I went on an afternoon spiritual retreat one day because I knew that I needed to look for God and that I needed to put myself in a place where I could be seen by God in a fresh new way. I was really desperate for it. And so I went on a hike by myself, something I've never done, and don't don't get excited, it was like a little park around here, okay? I did really good to navigate myself through this little park. I don't even know which park it was. It was somewhere in Fairview Heights, but we'll probably tell you. But I I just navigated this trail and these hills, and it was windy, and there was almost no one there. And I found this little valley. It it was almost like a carved-out valley on this trail. It, It was this low place where there were hills around it, you know, like the little ledges. And I just sat myself on this log, and I just for the first time leaned into the truth of, God, why can't I feel you or see you, and why are you hiding from me? And it was just this beautiful moment that I can't even describe to you, where through the trees, right at that moment, the sunlight just burst through and like lit me up. And I believe that that was a sweet reminder that God was using his creation to remind me That in that moment when I was feeling my most unseen, that he saw me. And I just cried and cried and cried. And I just wrote down words that that helped me to remember that moment so that the next time I feel that way, for whatever reason, whether it's valid or not, I can remember that I have seen the one who sees me. And I so badly want others to see him too. And I want them to be seen by him. And so I say all that because you can't help others to be seen if you are allowing yourself, you're not allowing yourself to be seen by God. So my prayer for you, brothers and sisters in Christ, as you leave this place today, may you leave open-handedly, ready to see and be seen by God. And may you go and have intentional boundary, earth-shattering conversations with other people that help them to be seen by God as well. Go in his strength and his peace that will sustain you. You are dismissed. Have a great day.